You guys ever had a protein fart? My name's Cole. My name is Carter. I'm James. And this is Citizen Kane 2, a relatively stupid movie podcast. Yes, sir. I could never be Carter. I'm so much better than him. Whoa, that's we're coming out the gate with that. Well, now I'm Love you, cry. honey. How's everybody doing? Um, nice to be back. I'm I, I'm doing all right, man. Yeah, it's been what like three weeks. It's been like three weeks. We apologize. <clears throat> James, yeah, James we thank everybody for actually listening. We've had a lot of people actually tune in to We've this. We've had really good feedback. It's uh, very, very appreciated. We have. And no one talks. Not, not Carter, you. But yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, we're back for a very uh, spooky edition of the podcast today. We are how many days out from Halloween? I don't know. I can't do math. Um, 10? 10 ish. What day is Halloween on? Is it on the, the 30th? Oh, is it? Yeah. What? Is 30. it not the 31st? I thought it was the 23rd. Whoa, guy. You're Why would the fuck would it be on the 23rd? <laughs> I don't know. It's on the 31st every fucking year. That's not. True. Well, what's the important last day is of October. we are back. Right? We're going to be talking horror today. Um, are we stupid? Look it up. Yeah, I think we are. How was y'all's weekend? What'd you, you do? <laughs> how was my weekend? Yeah, how was your week? you just fucking ask me? Or I guess it is the weekend now. How was your previous week? I don't fucking Monday, October Friday. 31st. Um, I I was on a really crazy uh, set. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't want to put... You you can leave anonymous. Yeah, I mean, brag about it. Yeah, so uh, I'm not going to say who it was, but she was on The Voice in 2011. <laughs> 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 and her name is similar to... Bera C. Did yeah. She win? Okay. <laughs> I don't know if anybody even watches The Voice, so I think I, we're okay. I, I think we're okay, especially in 2011. Um, it was an incredibly unprofessional set. I'm not going to get too far into it, but the talent showed up very late and seemingly very loaded um, for yeah. a music video that I was working on, and that was rate your film experience on that. Honestly, it was a really, it's actually kind of ended up being a good time because we as a crew really came together to rally around um, how much we disliked the things that were happening. Terrible, but you do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. every film set. It's one of those things where like it was kind of awful, but at the same time, I don't know if there's anything else I would have rather have been doing. Also, I mean, you got to know how to deal with it if yeah. the talent shows up drunk out of their mind. Yeah. So yeah, it was definitely a good learning experience. Carter, how was your week? It was all right. All right. Okay. <laughs> Carter, how many times have you been to the gym this week? Two or three. Only. Carter just doesn't show up to class anymore. He's just either at the gym or watching <laughs> Ingmar Bergman movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever, do you, do you, uh, you should bring them to the gym. Who? Bergman the at the gym. Bergman. Bergman? Yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. Get him to put it on one of the screens for you. Yeah, we just uh, made a joke. If Carter was on his first date, he says, hey, baby, let me show you the six-hour cut of Fanny and Alexander. <laughs> and if she says no, sorry. You can't work out, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to work out. Um, speaking of Ingmar Bergman, I watched Max von Snydo and The Exorcist last night at the Jefferson Theater. It was amazing. It's not a real movie. All right, well. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything that I did this weekend that was notable, or this week. Um, mm. Nothing at all, honestly. Nothing fun. Uh oh shit yeah my sister yeah got married, I was like didn't I your guess. sister get married yeah <laughs> she got married shout out Emily and Troy um I can't think of anything uh, I guess know, that was well I guess that was on the weekend last weekend so the 
I don't know. Not the week, to be fair. I don't know what I'm fucking talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, roll the credits. <laughs> um, well, this is going to be our, our spooky fiend podcast. <laughs> oh, man. We have a button and everything. Very nice. <laughs> yeah, that we do. Um, and we're going to be talking about... It's October, man. We're going to be talking about horror films, uh, Halloween films, what makes those good, what makes those bad. Um, I understand I think that we, you have some questions for me and Carter. Do yeah, you? yeah. I kind of want to wait on my questions. Cause I okay. think we're all attacking, tackling this from uh, three different ways. Yeah. Um, and James, I was wondering what you had in in, in store for us today. Uh, well, uh, I guess due to recency bias, there has been a couple of films that I can't stop thinking about. Uh, most of them are David Lynch movies. Um, I'm going to talk about The Alphabet by David Lynch, some of his early short films, and then I'll be talking about uh, Geometria by uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, which I think is his first short film ever. Cole is rubbing his nipples right now. Prove it. I guess I can't. We're not filming this. So, um, I, And then I'll throw in some kind of, I guess, underrated or classic stuff. Carter looks like he's about to me, cut so. his nipples off. Well, what's the point of that? Oh my god! Oh my god! He's rubbing a razor on his nipple. <laughs> you, you can't make this. Put up. the razor away, Carter. You also cannot prove this. Well, I guess that's <laughs> no, fair. That's not that's um, true. The question is, I mean, do we want to get out Carter's Joker coin, or are we just going for it? Well, I think that would require me reaching into my bag, which I do not want to do. Well, okay, well, very. Well, cool. I, th- I think we should uh, just. I think we're all bringing something different today. So why don't we just? Discuss you want me to start? We, yeah, yeah. I want to hear, hear you're on a lynch kick right now. Okay. Uh, so, honestly, just to preface, um, there is almost no way that you can physically describe most of David Lynch's body of work. So, mm-hmm. I took the liberty of just having other people do it for me. Um, we had just mentioned, uh, actually, we just watched his three-minute short film called The Alphabet. Um, first off, just initial reaction, Carter just saw it for the first time. What do you think? It was, uh, it was traumatized. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like it. No, it, like I liked it, but I, I can't say that I enjoyed looking at that stuff. You want to look away as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. And I have, uh, I found that to be true with a lot of David Lynch uh, films in general. It's very, it falls very under the theater of the, of the absurd. It's very, uh, it, it's supposed to shock you. It's just crazy shit happening yeah. back to back. Um, a little like bit a, of the story. For be- all the theater nerds, it's very tartuffy. Tartuffe? Tartuffe. If you read about Tartuffe. It was a, th- a theater in the French, uh, a play that was done in the French Renaissance that caused such an outroar that there was a riot in the street and multiple people died. Oh. And they set the theater on fire and shit. Interesting. Uh, but that is like, he, uh, it reminds me very much if you, uh, I feel like David Lynch could make a, like we could have made a, a Tartuffe movie and like had a similar response to it. That's so metal. Well, let me just talk about um, this. This film came out in 1968. I think it is three minutes and 40 seconds long. Um, but someone wrote uh, that Lynch's wife, Peggy, told him of a dream that her niece had uh, while she was just reciting the alphabet in her sleep. Uh, then she woke up and started bouncing around and repeating it. Lynch took this idea and ran with it. First, uh, he painted the walls of the upstairs bedroom black. Lynch painted Peggy's face white to give her an unreal contrast to the black room and to have her uh, head bounce around the room in different positions as he filmed. Uh, The footage was edited together by an animated sequence where the letters of the alphabet slowly appear and the capital A gives birth to several smaller A's, uh, which form a human figure. The soundtrack starts with a chant of the letters ABC, followed by a man singing. Um, 
mixed in are other sound effects, including the wind crying from a siren and a siren. An adult voice reminds us that we are dealing with a human form, uh, which is followed by a girl singing the alphabet song. Uh, Lynch recorded this, his newborn daughter, Jennifer, crying in an unbroken uh, tape recorder from the film and loved the sound it created. Uh, Lynch mixed the sound in a lab called Calvin de Fernes, uh, which is where he first met Herb Cardwell, who would later shoot part of a racer head. Uh, Lynch would also later meet Alan Spelt, and that's where he came time to mix the grandmother. So um, anyways, it is just, it's kind of a very jarring thing, and ever since I saw it, I've been sending it around. What he was able to do with these three minutes and 48 seconds um, is just, it's honestly frightening, and he is a classically trained artist, um, and so that's where he gets his background in. And so it's very abstract. Uh, there's not really a meaning to it. And later I'll get into films like Eraserhead where I was trying to prepare for this podcast. Um, I legitimately could not prepare for something like Eraserhead. So mm-hmm. we'll get into that a little bit. Um, but yeah, that is my first recommendation. Um, I, you know, I caught, you know, a bit of that, uh, the alphabet and um, the wind aspect and her wardrobe a lot reminds me of Kurosawa's uh, Throne of Blood specifically the sequence when they're you know it's based off of uh, Macbeth mm-hmm. and it's a retelling of it in feudal Japan but the when they're uh, the witch when they meet the witch who it looks more like a some kind of uh, like Japanese ghostly kind of figure but he had plays with like a very similar uh from a sound perspective, a very similar texture. Was Throne of Blood made in the 50s? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, 50, I, I want to say 54, but that could be wrong. But okay. Around there. Um, it's also one of my five favorite movies ever. I have yet to watch it. I, I honestly have never seen a Kurosawa film. And it's one of those things where you know that he's a master and it's like you save it on the shelf for a rainy day. Uh, just like... It took me a long time to get into David Lynch. I'm like, I don't have the time to sit through three hours of the most obscure shit that I can possibly yep. think of. So, anyways, um, I have I have a couple more David Lynch things to talk about. Um, but do we want to kind of just break it up and and Carter go? Well, Carter has quite the uh, yeah, oh yeah I, okay yeah. okay I'll, I'll just I'll just go for, I'll go for another one real quick. Um, there is. Another another short film he made from this period called Six Figures Getting Sick Six Times. Uh, and I'm not really going to go into that a whole lot just because I straight up didn't really understand it. It's literally um, sort of an abst- like a live abstract painting of six figures just throwing up for like three minutes. So it's kind of <laughs> bizarre. Um, but there are there's one more thing. Um, in 1995, Carter and I were talking about this before. Uh, David Lynch got the opportunity to shoot on a very obscure, um, one of the first cinema cameras ever made, right? Yeah. Brothers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, the and, Lumiere brothers. And that was, that was in 1925. You said around Pretty that time. Sure. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I'm fairly certain it's 1925. Um, so there are, I'm assuming there's like just a couple of Lumiere brothers cameras that float around the world now. Right. Is um, that a fair assumption? Yeah. And by a couple, like, very very few no like two mo- or no, three no more than three probably okay well david lynch actually got the opportunity to uh use one of the original lumiere brothers cameras uh for a one minute short film called premonitions following an evil deed um which we showed to car i just showed to carter as well yeah. um what do, what do you think about that one um i mean it was very simple you know uh it's a silent film right yeah mm-hmm. um 
and yet it's it's literally 55 seconds, right? Yeah, you get 55 seconds to shoot on this camera, yeah. so you can't fuck it up. Um, yeah. But through watching it, I mean, it's very clear how uh, how much of a mastery David Lynch has over his craft because he was able to tell a perfectly, um, what's the word? Like, a legend- it's a coherent. Story. Yeah, yeah, perfectly. Yeah. Good- perfectly coherent story um, within 55 seconds with no dialogue, just through the use of visuals, which is what is literally what cinema and it, it's is. still, it's the way to flex your dick. Yeah. yeah. It's still pretty it's jarring dick. though for that, that 55 seconds, mm-hmm. the one scene of the lady kind of in the tube being tortured in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm thinking about how much pressure it would be to be able to shoot on a Lumiere brothers camera. And also just, I don't know, like you can't, you literally just can't fuck up at all. Um, so I do think that deserves a shout out and a warrant just for any uh, any super film nerds to talk about. Um, but the real juicy one that I was saving for last, um, I know Carter has not seen Eraserhead. Cole, have you seen Eraserhead I before? Eraserhead. Okay, for, I watched it in my film first film appreciation class back in 2018. Wow. Okay, it was mm-hmm. at uh, Blend. Was at Blend. Okay, so give me give me before I get into my yeah. feelings about Eraserhead. There's almost an impossible way to describe this movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is... Uh, I think if you wanted to grab, like, a very snapshot of what the mind of David Lynch must be like, um, that film is one of the most jarring uh, things I've ever seen. It was... I just remember being in a group of students together watching that, and everyone was like, what the fuck did what I just watch? What the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah. um, but like the way he uh, uses the symbolism of all this absurd stuff to really encapsulate anxieties and fears that I think every young man has to a degree yeah, um, is really fucking impressive. I mean, like, I don't... Using a fucking, like, little plagiosaur child yeah. to, like, <laughs> yeah. mimic the anxieties of fatherhood is fucking... It's really ahead of its time. That's an odd choice. That only David Lynch can make. That only David Lynch can (laughs) make and pull off. I mean, I don't know. I certainly don't have any of the capabilities to make a story coherent that's going around that type of... It's just so fucking odd, but it's so... It's one of the most jarring jarring. movies I've ever seen in my life. He's very impressionistic. It's not about... It's not about actually de- de- uh, depicting the story. It's about depicting how the characters feel in that story through yeah. very jarring and very strong visuals. And it is very old school way of making films. We don't mm-hmm. see movies that delve into that in quite that way as frequently anymore. And it, it is more akin to Metropolis right. and a lot of these like silent uh, you know, German impressionistic films from mm-hmm. the 20s and 30s um, than it is... Uh, um, you know, modern cinema or even the cinema that was, you know, being made around that time. Um, and I, 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 uh, I, I think that oftentimes uh, film theorists and kind of the culture of things like letterbox, uh, mm-hmm. we have to know why we like something uh, 100%. We have to have a strong opinion on it. Um, and if we don't, then, you know, fuck off. But uh, I think, I think the interesting thing about David Lynch specifically and Carter's going to roast Carter's me about the letterbox. No, 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 Carter's I'm not going to roast you. There's some blood. Well, okay. Okay. Let me nose. get this thought out. Um, I, I think sometimes it is okay to not know why you like something. And it's David Lynch films are really about evoking emotion. Mm-hmm. What did it make you feel? Sometimes it makes you want to throw up, makes you want to just completely just cringe. Um, 
But at the end of the day, you watch a racer head and you're like, I need to take a fucking shower after yeah. that one. So Carter roast me. No, no, no. I wasn't going to roast you because after taking like a few seconds to think before I actually spoke, um, <laughs> I, I agree with some films, especially high art films, um, such as like the tree of life. Mm-hmm. I can't necessarily tell you exactly why I like the movie. I just do. Um, however, I, I think I felt like that the first time I watched the lighthouse. Like, yeah, I, it was very yeah, much that's a more great point. the feeling that I got yeah. was much more, I think, much more important than me pulling away and being like, oh, I have a very clear image of what yeah. I just watched. Um, however, I do think when it comes to more commercial films, even if those commercial films are big budget art house films, like big, like blockbuster art house like, films. Like, uh, like you would talk about like everything everywhere all at once or yeah, something Arrival. like that or like Dune or Arrival. Yeah. Um, which are, okay. I was going to say those are all, never mind. Um, anyways, yeah. uh, I do think that when personally, when I watch those films, something that isn't like high art and abstract, um, I don't have a problem like pointing out why I like something or like to myself. Oh, we're least. aware. <laughs> well, um, like, I don't know. I, I can watch something and, um, I can just tell you, like, I can like it and then I can, I can tell you why I liked it. Um, or I, I do, I do it. have to give you a compliment on that because there's a lot of times where Carter's brain is very film theorist mm-hmm. and, and, uh, criticism, which I think in point will turn uh, making him a better filmmaker. Um, there's a lot of times where I just watch shit brain completely turned off and I'm like, do I liked it or I didn't like it. Um, and so he, he's able to articulate why he didn't like something or like something in a way where I can actually still respect it, even though I wildly disagree with him <laughs> a lot of the times. Um, but he knows his stuff and that's something to be well, said. For. And I, I think it, it is important um, when you watch something like Eraserhead, which I mean, like I need to go back and rewatch Eraserhead. Yeah. But I agree with you the first time it is very impressionistic. So it is more about the feelings that it's invoking and less about a literal structure. Yeah. But it's important for you to stop and think about why it's making you feel that way. Yeah. Why right. is it affecting you in that way? And and that it's weird because films like that sometimes become almost like a personal therapy session that you're ha- racking with your brain, with yourself. Yeah. Um, it sticks with you like weeks yeah. after you watch it. <laughs> yeah. But it's like a, a great example is I think I, I've just recently watched Hereditary for the fourth time. Um, right on, man. <laughs> I'm probably cruising up in, in the high teens, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those things where, like, I, this time I got, I felt, I was like, okay, I'm going to be much more objective, you know? Yeah. And taking thoughts to myself, like, what is the lighting doing here? Why, right. where, why are we, or why are these choices being made? Uh-huh. What, what are they punching through? What's probably being punched through that window to give us this effect? Yeah. What is, why? The soundscape of that movie is one of my fucking favorite things on this planet. Yeah. And it's so textured and then sometimes so not. Yeah. And why are those choices being made? (laughs) I literally, I literally fucking squirmed out of my seat. And Jeremy looked at me like I was crazy when we were watching it the other day. Yeah. But I just, that will fuck with me for the rest of my life. Yeah. (laughs) Coolest theater experience I've ever had, probably. Um, It was... Yeah, it's such an impactful movie. Another film that I would consider my top five of all time. It, yeah. I fucking love that movie. Absolutely. Um, but it is important, I think, to rewatch things that give us those, invoke those strong emotions because 
often it's hard, I think, in general to come away from a film experience like that and objectively being like, oh, well, this, you know, this did this and the mise-en-scene gave yeah, me the, invoked yeah. this type of feeling. Yeah. And I think that's why it's important to rewatch things that are important to you. I agree. Films, I, I agree and it's hard. It's hard when you watch something like I've only seen Arrival once. And it is one of my favorite movies of all time, if not my favorite movie. Right. But I know if I watch it again, it's going to wreck my fucking world a second time. And I don't, I'm not ready. That sounds like super pretentious, but I'm just not ready for that yet. But also I do want to watch it with more of an objective mind and less of a, you know. You catch so much shit the second time you watch it, you know, um, that you didn't initially catch. Um, I think... Just to, to end my little segment about David Lynch, I think exactly what we're talking about is the way that I have this guy's... And I... I well, let's see. I actually did credit this guy. Um, it says, It can be a painful experience to watch a film and have no idea what it's about. Uh, to have the film's meaning nagging at the core of you, always out of reach, yet forward. Uh, that's exactly the molten subterranean fuel that pushes David Lynch visions forward. And with his debut, the perplexing and terrifying eraser head, the director offers no consolation to the encroaching feelings with him that will never find any sort of logical mooring or something to keep our psyche safe. A simple tale about a funny haired worker, Jack Nance trundling nervously through a fant phantasmagoric industrial landscape in the process, fathering a mutant turtle-looking baby who he's left to raise as his new wife abandons her family. Eraserhead is an astounding uh, act of bearing independently-minded cinematic exploration um, and popular consciousness. You may not know much about Eraserhead, but you probably know what it is. And whether or not it's a meditation of the horrors of fatherhood or a glimpse at the weird evolution of physical intimacy in a dying ecosystem or a groundbreaking work of DIY sound design or whatever the hell, Eraserhead is a black hole of influence. It's gross. It's soul-stirring, uh, a visceral nightmare, and to this day, it's unlike anything I've ever seen before, which may or may not be a compliment. <laughs> that was from Dom uh, Sinkala. Well, and, you, and I think, um, you know, not that... A film needs to move you to have impact, not that, like, just because mm-hmm. someone with a reputation says it's really good, you yeah. should just immediately assume, oh, this is for me or this is something that's going to impact me. But it does speak volumes when you're, you know, David Lynch and you have guys like Stanley Kubrick and Martin Scorsese who are both like, yeah, that guy's fucking insanely good. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so, like, when, I mean, when you can have people of that caliber, in, like, as fans. And the late 60s um, and the early 70s, I mean, competing with some of those dudes yeah. being uh, one of the four founders of just, I don't know, like, I mean, at Kub- stuff. Kubrick, uh, said that he thought he was the uh, the best the best filmmaker that he was competing against at one point. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Nice. Um I think I think that was after he had seen Eraserhead for the first time. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. That makes me happy to hear. Yeah. Um which I mean obviously if Stanley Kubrick gives you the, the, he complimented like two people his entire life, Ingmar Bergman and David Lynch. So. so like, you know, if you have someone like that uh saying how, you know, they uh, they see you as a as a peer. That's I, I would I would be able to die there. So. Yeah. Um, I want to hear about Mike Flanagan because Carter, I see his beautiful notes, handwritten <laughs> notes here, uh, and I also love Mike Flanagan with a few exceptions. But um, I, I think we, I think me and Carter have similar tastes on this. So um, take it away. Okay, before before I get on into that, I just want to clarify something about the, something that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, only because, okay, so. 
when you were talking about um, my analyzing and articulation of films that I just watched, uh, what I wanted to clarify, there's quite a few people in my life who think that I just can't enjoy movies because I do that. Yeah. Um, I'm not, when I'm watching a movie, I'm not sitting down taking notes yeah. during every single movie yeah. that I watch. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not just sitting there analyzing every single thing. Um, it just happens. It's like all subconscious. I don't even realize that stuff unless it really sticks out until yeah. after the film. I guess I'm, I don't know. I guess I just have the kind of brain that is. You have a very analytical brain for sure. I, yeah, I guess so. Um, um, and Cole, I, Cole and I will just you. like pop an edible before a film. We're <laughs> like, Doi. yeah, well, it, it, that's how I prefer my first viewing experience. For me, that's why I have to. If I am in that state where I'm like popped it, or like I think, I guess whatever. I my first time viewing Hereditary, I was coming down off of psilocybin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you know, which I think is one reason why the fucking clicking noise really. Yeah. is like engraved into my subconscious in a way yeah. that's probably not good. But that's neither here nor there. We both watched those. <laughs> I watched it on Shrooms with Valerie. Shout yeah. out. Uh, um, but, you know, I'm just looking for my, you know, uh, what emotions, and maybe that's unfair to certain films because there, I think there are movies where I'm just like, I'm never going to rewatch that because I didn't have an immediate, you know, yeah. connection with it. But also, I'm trying to figure out why. Yeah. yeah. But that's why I have to go through a second or a third time. It wasn't until my second time watching Florida Project that I realized the reason that movie oh. stuck with me to yeah. such a severe degree was really the colorscape. It's a great film. And the way the camera itself is painting a different two different images with the yeah. children's perspective and the adults' perspective. You know, the first time I just felt moved. The second yeah. time I was able to sit there and start to think, you know, it's almost like you can find beauty in the, I don't want to say trash, but the, just the the great part about Sean Baker's movies is yeah. he'll do it in the most ordinary places that are very relatable, yeah, like uh, Southeast Texas or Florida, you yeah. know, and you see beauty in the mundane. So yeah. Sean Baker, did he make Red Rocket? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Okay. Sure did. Yeah. Shot in Beaumont, Texas. Yeah. Yep. And parked on. Uh, but like in the same way, um, uh, you know, Kurosawa's movies, particularly Throne of Blood, which like a not the fucking, you know, just sit there and like, yeah. <laughs> but it, uh, you know, my first time viewing it, I was just like, okay, first of all, that's the best Macbeth I've ever, yeah. se- I've ever seen hands down. It's better than any English. How many Macbeths are there? Are there like, uh, Dude, there's so many, there's so many. The Didn't pl- Polanski, the do Polanski one? has one that is very good. It's very traditional retelling of it, but I'm saying also I have seen between films and on stage, I've seen, Probably seven or eight different Macbeths. The North one is kind of another one. Te- yeah. Technically, it's based on the story that Macbeth was based on. Right. So. You said the Northman? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the Northman is based on uh, the legend of Omleth, which is what Macbeth was based on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, and so, you mean, yeah, and it's also like they are very common themes yeah, yeah. in that story that are played the off. Lion King. <laughs> the Lion King. It, Lion I, King, I would consider, you can definitely consider a Macbeth retelling. Don't you love when like Shakespeare whittles his way into modern cinema? Just everything. Yeah. Into oh everything. my god. Okay. Well, okay. Especially in Western cinema, uh, every character trope that we that's in every film has its base in uh, Shakespeare some way if, yeah. from a subconscious I love perspective. That. Yeah. Um, but that's and to be fair, a lot of his things comes from classic Greek plays. When you're talking yeah. about the Festival of Dionysus, um, which is the first. Uh, congregation of Western storytelling. Um, 
which is also the if you read about the festival of Dionysus because it is the roots of what we're trying to accomplish as young filmmakers. Interesting, um, because it is a festival in which all the greatest filmmakers, or not filmmakers, playwrights, playwrights, yeah, would come together and they would show their plays, and this is where they would kind of you know judge each other. But also, everybody is drinking uh, <clears throat> spiked wine, and by spiked, I mean spiked with psychedelics. Oh, um, hell yeah. And so it's this crazy week-long festival of tragedies and comedies and drinks and booze and celebrations. And probably orgies too, and right? probably some orgies somewhere around there. Yeah, that sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was – that is the foundation. That became the foundation for all uh, Western storytelling. Um, now, in Eastern cultures, you have a whole different way that develops. Um but what's really interesting about Kurosawa is he takes both of those and to, and just bam, nice. they're both. They're, they're both here. They're both being represented, and I'm playing with it in a way that no one else has because no one else has, you know, willing to put down their superiority enough to to blend right. them this way. And Bong Joon-ho is also, like, he's the modern uh, uh, rendition modern of Kurosawa. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, that's an interesting. I've never heard that, but I, I could I could maybe see that. Just in the way that they're willing to take Western and Eastern cultures, taking all these character right. tropes, and then finding a way to mash them together. I don't think they're very similar in that that's beautiful in that fashion. Um, but this is a long, really weird, drawn out way of me just talking about going back to Mike Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like watching stuff and analyzing stuff. My second time watching yeah. Throne of Blood. Blood. The reason I was like, how can you tell Macbeth, which is Shakespeare, it's very wordy, it's very airy. Yeah. The reason you're so engaged is because he understands that film, you need to have something on the screen. Something needs to be happening. Yeah. And the movement. If the characters aren't moving, the background's moving. There's a story on the, in that film, particularly for the shots with the witches, you know, he, he had no way of faking weather effects back then. Yeah. Um, especially with what he was doing in Japan at the time. And so they literally camped out for two weeks until a storm was strong enough that he decided it would get the effect that he wanted. Did I tell you I have a I have a copy of Throne of Blood on Blu-ray? That's fucking good. dial it up, baby. I mean, oh, I, and and you're gonna hate that I got it for like four dollars. Yeah, too. I hate that too. I yeah, stole, it was a, I stole my Criterion copy of Throne of Blood. Oh, good, good. I love that. Uh, anyway, okay, I'm so sorry. So Carter, we, it's time know, for it's your spooky aspect of this. Okay, um, actually, before I talk about Flanagan, okay, well, <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about something that is like, um, it, it's a it's a horror show that's been out for about a month, and I find people's reactions to it to be particularly disgusting. It's a new Jeffrey Dahmer show, and I thought we could Fuck all talk all about of that. that. Yeah, yeah. God um, damn, bro. It's the show itself <laughs> is not glorifying. Jeffrey Dahmer or his victims or any of that. But a lot of the people um, watching it are. Exactly. It's been number one on Netflix for about a month and a half. Because there's hot garbage on Netflix and Ryan Murphy is greenlit for 20 different shows at the same time. Uh, okay, well, I, I will say this. It's it's a fine show. It's fine. The episode five particularly, has some, it's, a, it's a fine piece of filmmaking. However, um, people's reaction, they're, they're obsessing over the show. Yeah. They love the show a little too much. People are dressing up as Jeffrey Dahmer Fuck and it's that. quite disgusting. Mm -hmm. No, that's like I I'm taking a pop culture serial killer class right now, and it's become really hard for me to attend. Yeah. Um, and not from and like this makes me sound like such a pretentious asshole, but it's just like there. It really bothers me that there's this sect that is like 
it's becoming fetishized in it such very a, much is, yeah. a way that like, and not everybody, it's not like everybody in there, but there's like a group of people and every now and then they start saying stuff and it just makes me kind of get like a little like, yeah, you it understand get, gets, they were murdering people, right? It and gets like really gross. Um, whenever, whenever people start profiting off of that, Ryan Murphy is prime example. Um, yeah, none of the proceeds go to the victims or anything. Yeah, and and Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't that long ago, and no, so not at all. you have to ask yourself when you make something like that: Is there a point to me actually making this? Am I? Are you saying something? Are you watching for signs of a potential serial killer? That's not really a problem that we have today. Well, we have you know, in, in different forms, but, right. um, no, it's, I, I, I was working on a script recently that I just, I, this weekend decided I'll actually like two days ago, I just pretty much, I decided to totally scrap it Yeah, because I just felt like as much as I was working on it and toiling on it, I felt very aware that I might be playing into some of those tropes yeah. mainly because I was trying to condense this into less yeah, than 10 minutes. That's easy to do. And I was like, you know, this is not accomplishing what I want to accomplish at all. It's not saying anything more meaningful. And I'm afraid that just based on the climate we're in right now, if someone watches this, they're going to digest it like a Jeffrey Dahmer show or even like a fucking Jason Slash. Well, like it's like the, uh, the Ted Bundy movie that Netflix made. Um, mm. First off, you cast Zac Efron. Obviously, everybody loves Zac Fuck, Efron. Yeah. But at the same time... He did a good job. To be fair. He but did a good still. job, but then, you know, when you start pointing things out like that, they're like, oh, well, Ted Bundy was handsome. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. You just <laughs> killed a lot of people. Yeah. Like, I don't care about his persuasiveness, any any sort yeah, of... You could cast him as handsome. Maybe just don't cast the guy that is like... Teenage heartthrob Zac like, Efron. Yeah. 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 Any, any sort of, like, bringing extra attention to that is what they would have wanted, and they mm -hmm. probably would have enjoyed their own TV shows about it. Right. And so Ryan Murphy has been kind of an issue for quite some time. He uh, he kind of fictionalizes a lot of his stuff in in weird ways, and he was you know I watched a lot of interviews about him in this Dahmer show, but more importantly, the people that were on the production of Dahmer, there were some people that spoke out and said it was a terrible set to work on, um, and Netflix, like I said, gives this guy free reign. Um, yeah, American Horror Story got bad after like the second season, and it's he's been just going on for. Oh so God, long. so long. It's so bad. So long. You know, I um, I try. I think I I try quasi frequently. I'll watch a couple episodes of a season and then give up on it. Yeah. Um, and they did two. They split it up into two separate ones, and there was one that I was really following along, and then it just went down. A very sexualized. Like, Which one is pill. it? The one it was like fucking vampires and this little black pill and shit. Um, oh, the American Horror Stories. stories. Yeah, yeah. Stories. I, I watched yeah, that I, one. That I was not. That. that was not good. No, no, that's my point. But I liked a lot of these things that they were playing with, and then just the longer it went on, the more they added and added all this bullshit. Yeah, it's several. It's like five or six episodes for that one story. I feel like he paints gay people in a way that are just always so overtly sexual, and and it's just sexual all... and also horrific. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I like mean, it's there's like, no point. The sexier are, the deadly they are. The more killy they are. Yeah, yeah. And I agree with that. I I, I have got to yeah. take a little sidebar here. Um, speaking of horror stuff and, and TV shows that have come out recently, there's hardly any TV shows that can keep my attention. But The Patient uh, with Steve Carell and Dom Hall Gleason is one of the best shows that I've I have seen really in good. a while, just because of the range of Steve Carell specifically. But I know Dom Hall Gleason from Ex Machina and Black Mirror. I had no idea that he was in Harry Potter. What did Dom who? Dom Hall Gleason is his name. He's the ginger dude from Ex Machina. Oh, the actor. Yes. Okay. He stars alongside uh, 
Steve Carell. And it's a very basic premise. It is a serial killer who goes to uh, therapy. And once he finds out that he keeps on killing people and the therapy's not working, he changes therapist to a bed in his, his basement. And they, he tries, Steve Carell's basically trying to talk him out of committing these horrific crimes and murders just for him to be uh, potentially a threat at the end. But he also, he also kind of relates it to his experience being a, uh, a Jewish man. And it's kind of interesting how they relate his incarceration to the bottom of the bed to he has these dreams where he meets Victor E. Frankel in Auschwitz, which is the man who wrote Man's Search for Meaning and survived in the concentration camp. But it has a beautiful way, very simplistic way of, uh, you know, what what it is like to be Jewish. So anyways, give it a watch. Uh, it's like 24 minutes each per episode. Um, I'm well, what's just, that on? Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. It's the best thing I've seen in a while. Anyways, Mike Flanagan. Yeah, sorry. Um, okay, so I can go super deep into this because I, I went, like, relatively deep. That'll take longer, or I can just go over it very simply. Well, I mean, what do you I, what do you think? I mean, I think you and I, have you seen many of Mike Flanagan's TV shows? No, no, I don't think I've seen I thought okay. you saw. I thought you saw Hill House and Blind Manor. No. No, Kylie I, has. Okay. I can pretty much Why go... Why do we get her on the show? Of that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I can, I can probably spar with you a little bit about uh okay. hill house and midnight mass i didn't like bly manor at all um and i didn't really like dr sleep <laughs> and yeah i wasn't a big fan of dr sleep either. yeah oh i have seen dr sleep you shouldn't you shouldn't do, just don't do a sequel to the shining and that's not even mike flanagan's fault entirely stephen king f- can fuck off so begin my okay friend. yeah um firstly uh, i want to talk about mike flanagan's approach to horror because i think Right now, at least, I know it's a bold statement, but I think he's the uh, like the modern king of horror right now, and he doesn't always hit it out of the park. Um, and that's a very subjective opinion. Right. I know, I know. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Cole he, and I side eyed each other with that. Uh, he doesn't always hit it out of the park, but when he does, I think he he, he does a very good job of it. Um, and so I he he approaches horror very differently than a lot of filmmakers who are like demons, monsters, the paranormal. And although he does have some paranormal stuff in there, his approach is what, and his execution is what changes the game a lot. Um, he, rather than uh, looking at demons and monsters, what? No, 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 nothing. I just have to pee so badly. Do you want to go? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go. Okay. <laughs> uh, put the put the chair on the door. Oh, okay. Well, put the chair on the door so you don't yeah, I got you. You have to knock. Um, do you want me to continue? Yes, or do you- yeah, just continue. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll come in. Okay. Um, <laughs> this guy. So, uh, he takes an approach of, um, like what scares him, like what scares me. And in the case of the haunting of Hill house, um, it's, uh, there's a family of seven or I guess a family of six really. Um, after anyways, uh, and he asks himself what scares me. There's a family um, one of the members of the family commits suicide. Mm. That's what horrifies me. So I'm going to build the horror of the show around that idea mm-hmm. with the haunting of Bly Manor. Um, what scares him is falling in unconditional love, knowing that death is waiting for one of you. And how are you supposed to live without that other person? Um, that's what he finds horrifying pure, in yeah, that that's show. Pure existentialism, I think. Exactly, um, and that's what that show is designed. The entire show is designed uh, designed around that conceptual idea. Um, and with his most recent project, The Midnight Club, um, 
his fear in that, he's asking himself, what terrifies me? Uh, a group, a close group of what, Midnight Club. Yeah, yeah, it's his most recent project. What's what's that on? Netflix. I'm back. All all of his stuff is on Netflix for the okay. most part. Um, but the Midnight Club. Um, in in that he asks himself, what terrifies me? A friend, a, a group of close friends um, that are very tight knit and they all love each other very dearly. However, they all have terminal cancer. Oh God. Yeah, and that's the what Midnight Club. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's what terrifies him. Mm. In that show, and so I like that. I like that his fears that. are very ex- existential. Exactly, and he, which is probably which ex- explains a lot why why you have six pages written by him. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe so. Um, but yeah, he uh, he explores all of those with ghosts and stuff, mm-hmm. um, kind of. Um, yeah. Another thing I want to talk about him, with him is jump scares, yeah. um, because he is not a fan of jump scares. Yeah. Which is funny because in the Midnight Club he had executives pushing him to do jump scares, so um, as kind of a uh, fu to the executives, he put twenty one jump scares in five minutes of footage. Holy shit! Um, and he has a world record for that, and he did that to show the executives, hey, this is why this isn't effective. Yeah. Um, but however, he still does use jump scares, but he does them tastefully and they have a purpose. Uh, For example, in The Haunting of Hill House, you have Theo and Shirley who are arguing in a car, and the ghost of Nell, their sibling who died, um, jumps out from behind, like, the back seat and starts screaming. And she does so to stop them from fighting. Um, That's her goal, because she hates seeing her siblings fight. Mm. Because they're alive, you know, they should be loving each other. Uh, And so that's the reason for that jump scare. And by the way, it's, (laughs) like, the scariest jump scare. (laughs) When I first saw that, I literally, like, lost my breath, like, actually, and I dropped my phone. That's the only time that's ever happened. But anyways. I got to just do a sidebar, because he's talking about Haunting of Hill House. Um, That is the best. uh, Well, I mean, there's not many horror TV shows, but that's hands down the best one that I've seen. And it has stuck with me. Um, the image of the bent neck lady who is the pass away sister. Horrifying. Nell. I had nightmares about that. Uh, yeah. I, I remember watching, binge watching this, um, and then driving home and then I just see her on the, in the side yeah. of the street and I'm like, holy fuck, that's scary. Yeah. And the one funeral scene, um, in, in the haunting of Hill house shows how magnificent of a director Mike Flanagan oh, is. You're talking about episode six. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's an hour long and it's done in five takes. Yeah. Uh, Carter's going to wank off over that part. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's done in five takes. <laughs> yeah, I, I personally am not a fan of like just very extreme long takes. Um, Carter is. But when they're done tastefully. When they're done tastefully, yes. Yeah. That, I mean, that's one of, I will never forget that. And yeah. I, I have not rewatched The Haunting of Hill House just because I'm a little scared. <laughs> not gonna yeah, lie. Yeah. I'm not going to watch that shit alone. Yeah. And I bought the Blu-ray with like extensive or expensive like um, maybe, longer maybe episodes. Kylie and, stuff. and I will start that tonight you're getting with yeah. you should man it's so yeah, good it's very great and she's she said she would rewatch it with me yeah um it might give you nightmares though legitimately so. okay. yeah uh so i guess i'm gonna now i'm gonna talk about mike's flanagan mike flanagan's use of ghosts um because he doesn't always view ghosts as necessarily scary or evil um or even as spirits like humans that are you know mm. that didn't move on um, instead he views them as like metaphors, like a ghost is a wish. Something that Steven says is in uh, Hill House is that a ghost is a wish, a memory, a daydream, a secret, grief, anger, guilt, mm. trauma. Um, that's what ghosts are, the things that haunt you. Um, Playing with the concept of ghost is my favorite thing yeah, about, me too. Um, about Del Toro's The Devil's Backbone. 
Like that's the thing that stuck with me. I, I like I like playing with the concept because I think Ghost is such. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go on a tangent about Ghost real quick. No, no, it's all good. Um, Ghost. And while, while you do the Del Toro thing, I have to talk about his quick short film, and then we'll go back to my plan. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> Del Del Toro uh, is really good about this. There's other directors who are really good about this, but Ghost are so important because they have such a significant cultural influence because every every human culture from every part of the globe has ghost stories. Mm -hmm. They have ghosts, and they yeah. all have things in common and things that make them different and unique. Um, and I just think it's very interesting when you play with the concept and make it something a little more elevated than, like, you know. Ooh, yeah. You know. <laughs> like, um, that's going to get overused. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I appreciate that because I, it is something that is, like, Inherently human. Um, yeah. Ba back to you. I'll, I'll, I'll do my thing. Gonna... I'll do my thing after. It's cool. You sure you can go over? Yeah. No, no, do it right you're, now. You're okay. in the middle of that. It's okay. all good. Um. So I guess now I'm going to talk about Hill House as. Uh, I'm not going to talk about it as a whole because it's very. Uh, There's a lot to cover. Yeah, it has a lot of depth and it's very complex. So I'm only going to focus on, I guess, my favorite things about Hill House. Um. But uh, with that being said, um, I. <clears throat> want to talk about Hill House specifically because I do think it's Mike Flanagan's magnum opus. However, I prefer The Haunting of Bly Manor for personal reasons, which I'll briefly get into later. So, James, you, um, Hill House is the one that you prefer. Yes. Uh, Bly Manor was bad, in my opinion. Like, I, I honestly didn't, I didn't like, there was, the the episodes Flanagan directed was good, and then there was like, what, five or six directors after that, right? He only directed the first episode. Okay, well then, however long. Okay, well that, yeah. like, it do seemed... you know how, like, in Secession, there, there's not one writer and director for every single No, writer. I know, I know, but Secession flows a lot better, and you can tell it's like a cohesive story. Bly Manor's complete story kind of seemed like it was all over the place, and there were several different conflicting timelines going on, and at the end, there wasn't as much of a payoff for me, and I almost considered stop watching... I, I finished it, but I thought about stop watching it because I held it higher and I was like, this is the what he does after Hill House. And it was a Citizen Kane syndrome after that one. So, yeah. but well, he's wrong, but um, it's <laughs> just an opinion. <laughs> yeah, it's just an opinion. I mean, you can I, I would love to hear you talk about Black <laughs> okay, yeah, for yeah. a little bit. Uh, yeah, but. I'll talk about it uh, after I'm done with Hill House. But um, anyways, uh, also, I think Hill House and I. I'm aware that this is a very subjective thing. Uh oh. Very subjective. <laughs> you might want to get the crickets ready. Okay. Um, but uh, I think Hill House is the single best piece of horror media that's ever been made. Says no one ever. Um, I think it's like I love Hereditary, and everything. I love like every horror film that we've mentioned before. But I haven't again, seen it, so I can't be like that. It's, like, it's very subjective but. because I have a very personal connection to mm -hmm. Hill House and Bly Manor, yeah, so yeah. that's why I think that. No, no, I, I agree. Um, it's that's like, completely understandable. Uh, Jurassic Park is one of my five favorite movies. Is that, do I think it's one of the five best movies? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Right, right. Okay. Um, so now I think I'm going to get into Hill House, so I'm going to read a summary of the plot because Please do. I didn't write one myself. So anyways, um, the plot alternates between two timelines following uh, five adult siblings whose paranormal experiences at Hill House continue to haunt them in the present day and flashbacks depicting events leading up to the eventful night in 1992 uh, when the family fled from the mansion. Um, and uh, in the present day, um, the story kind of follows uh, five <clears throat> siblings who have lost 
one of their siblings. Um, so now there's only four to suicide. Um, Nail Crane, played by Victoria Pedretti, who it's her first role. And I she love her so much. Absolutely fantastic. That's her first um, role? Yeah, that's her first role. That's insane. She yeah. did so good. Yeah. Um, but uh, wow. one of my favorite things about this um, show are the characters and what they represent and how the kind of like trauma that they go through. So I guess I'm going to go through each of the characters and then um, like each of them represent mm-hmm. some form, like a uh, one of the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to go through that and then say how they react to the trauma that they had when they were children, when they're older and um, the uh, occupation that like the, their job that they mm-hmm. currently do, because it's also relevant to what they went through as a child. Let's do it. So uh, Stephen Crane um, represents deny uh, represents uh, denial. And um, because of the trauma that he went through as a child, he grows up and he kind of denies everything that happened. He thinks it's a mental illness passed down through his family. And so because of that, he gets a vasectomy in fear of passing down that mental illness. And he doesn't tell his wife about it. Hmm. And they end up getting, they, they, they end up going through it like a divorce or like on the verge of a divorce because of that. Hmm. And he's a writer and he also writes about ghost stories. He doesn't himself believe in ghosts, but he writes other people's ghost stories hmm. because of that. Um, Shirley uh, represents anger, and um, she later in life becomes a mortician uh, because when she was a child, she, her mother died. She saw some dead cats. It, it traumatized her. So that's how she reacted to that, by becoming a mortician. Um, and uh, some of the trauma that she goes through in the present day because of what she experienced in the past um, is she cheats on her husband due to... Um, Fuck. I actually, I can't remember the fear that was there, but, but she did it. I can't remember why, so I'm not going to go into it. Now I sound stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, uh, anyway, something that's really morbid in the show is that, uh, Shirley is the one who actually, um, takes care of Nellie's body. Um, her sibling who killed herself, she takes care of her body and which is really, really dark. Yeah. It, that, that's kind of hard to sit through and watch. But um, anyway, on to Theo, played by Mike Flanagan's wife. Um, She represents bargaining uh, and her reaction to the trauma when she was a child. uh, She becomes a semi-alcoholic and a child psychologist. Um, So there's that. These last ones are a lot less complex Mm -hmm. but er, not in the show. I just wrote a lot. I like the way that you you have that thought out though i think it's really really thoughtful and I, I mean it's obviously something that i didn't i didn't initially pick up when i first watched it because i was just scared shitless <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I mean, i've watched it a bunch so and it's I've, it's also yeah. got I, I can tell you it definitely has a lot of depth and so i think yeah. it deserves to Carter, be analyzed you, to that extent yeah. don't you own like a unique box set yeah, I'll get into that. I will get into that afterwards. How much money did you spend on that one? I, I will get into that afterwards, okay, and I will right. shout out the woman who deserves to be shout out. Katie Video. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, anyway, so on to Luke. Um, Luke represents depression, and he handles the trauma that he went through as a kid um, by becoming a drug addict um, very, very heavily. Uh, and so I actually want to talk at episode four for a little bit. Um because he's at rehab, he's clean for 90 days, but he has a friend who runs away from rehab. So he goes out and he looks for her, um, finds her, and they're, uh, they're walking around the um, city trying to find some money. Um, and 
Luke is, uh, by the way, the episode title is The Twin Thing. Um, Luke, throughout the episode, is, it, it appears that he's getting sick, like really mm-hmm. sick. Um, perhaps even like going through withdrawal or as if he's taking more drugs. But really, if you watch it a few times, you start to realize that he's feeling his twin's death. He's feeling mm-hmm. Nellie's death. He's feeling her neck, um, which snapped. Uh, he's feeling her body growing cold. Um, and Did this come was. out in 2018? 2018, yeah. Okay, it's been almost five years since I've seen this. Yeah. Um, and Cole, I apologize for the spoilers. It's okay. I'm um, trying to turn my brain off a little bit. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you, won't, you won't remember. But, it's uh, fine. Yeah. Knowing that he's feeling his twin's death hurts. <laughs> like, when I realized that in the episode, I don't know, that just hurts knowing that. Um, it's very well done. And see... Mike Flanagan doesn't tell you that. Like it's it's something that's very subtle that's done kind of by the actor alone, mm-hmm. and so it's it's there for you to pick up on. But he certainly he's not spoon feeding you, which is something that I love. Um, he, he it's mm. it's there for you to pick up on if you want to analyze it, and it makes it almost like a really like so much more of an enjoyable experience knowing that there's so much there that you can pick up on because Mike Flanagan refuses to spoon feed the audience because he trusts his audience to be smart. He's one of the best directors on Netflix. I can tell you that. I mean, he's got nothing but Netflix original stuff and he's the pretty much one of the only people who have actually got me to go back to Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then there's Nell, uh, the, um, sibling of Luke, uh, the one who committed suicide. Um, I'm not going to get into how or why or the events leading up to that. But anyway, uh, she represents acceptance, um, the last stage of grief. Uh, and she really only represents this after her death, her ghosts. Um, and then there's Henry, uh, the father, and he uh, is keeping things from his kids that they possibly shouldn't know or wouldn't believe about Hill House, uh, which leads me into like the editing of the show actually it's very non-linear um things are revealed to us as the episodes go on uh the only episode that i think is no no that's not even linear never mind the entire show is non-linear um and so it's very engaging because of that because we have to wait to get answers right um and once again it's very subtle he doesn't spoon feed you anything you have to kind of figure it out yourself, and that's very smart. Cole, if you want to start The Haunting of Hill House, we can, like, watch an episode a night, or if you want. So, like, we can have, like, a little book club sort of thing. Uh, I, I would love that. Yeah. yeah, we can analyze it. Yeah. Way, you know. Anyways, yeah, we, so we, we can, can do a little report on it. That, no, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, for, First off, before, before I whore the microphone again, do you have any short films or horror movies that you want to talk about? Cool. Yeah, we can take a break from Hill House for a second. Well, we can get into <laughs> what I I what I was bringing to the table today, okay. which is actually not about. It's much more abstract than talking about a specific movie. Yeah. Um. So Carter, if it starts to go on, jump back in with more of your uh, more of your ver- your written report you have. Okay. <laughs> um. But I, from a filmmaking perspective, I wanted to ask you guys. What are things that you think what are things that you look for in a horror movie or things that if you were to make a horror movie things that you'd want how do you want to go about it how do you want to address it because I think horror first of all it's a genre you're talking about making a genre film and yeah. so there is inherent things 
that define that genre that you you have to play with or not play with. And I think horror is a very unique one. Because, uh, like, well, first off, originality is hard. In yeah, horror. absolutely. Yeah. There's so many horror films that are very custom, cut and paste, almost damn near the same thing. Because there is a certain mold that is guaranteed to make money. And so studios like to fund things that have that. Mm-hmm. Um, not that, I mean, obviously a three act structure is fine. It's just, uh, you know, well, okay. How, how you um, tackling that? I, yeah. I will first start with, um, probably the very first short film that I made that is absolutely terrible, but I do still love the concept of it. Um, it was called, uh, the astral plane, and um, it was at a time where I was really worried about death. My mom was um, on the verge of dying. And so subliminally, I was kind of um, going through that. Um, and through the process, uh, it's not unfair to say that I was completely losing my faith. And so it was more, what what was the scariest thing that I could possibly think of? It was me at Judgment Day um, begging to the possibility of if God's real and if if I did enough to get into heaven. Um, and so I, I got into this Id, old abandoned church um, and I had my actor and this kind of grotesque pig mannequin thing um, that was kind of following through him throughout all these different stages. Um, and when he got to the altar, it was sort, sort of like a purgatory um, type of deal to where he had to plea, uh, plea for his life whether or not he could ascend to the astral plane in the, in existence and happiness and stuff like that. Um, but it turns out he was kind of sentenced to the hell aspect, which he just wakes up in his bed and he can see, he wakes up kind of as a ghost and he can see everything that's going on around him. Um, but he, his loved ones, he can't interact with his loved ones. Um, and so I think at that time that was really kind of terrifying to me. Some of those ideas, um, I think a horror film doesn't work if you don't look introspectively at what's scary. That's why jump scares are overplayed mm-hmm. because just if you get a rise out of somebody, it, that doesn't s- stay with you. I don't think about the two jump sta- scares and uh, paranormal activity or whatever. Yeah, it's right. more shocking than scary. Yeah. Um, and so I guess it brings me to before I, I did my most recent horror film, uh, I had written a 90-page uh, film called Golden, and um, again, with the religious trauma, very heavy, but it starts off with um, a mother figure dying. And um, it's kind of about the birth of not necessarily Antichrist, but one of the main demons of hell um, and what what situations uh, would arise um, from his upbringing that would bring him to the point where he would finally take his throne as the king of mm-hmm. hell or whatever. Um, anyway, so. I, I had not realized how much of a cathartic experience writing can be after um, I realized that I put myself in these characters and I had no idea that I even did that. Um, so it's very intimate. It's uh, I can't say it's the best thing that I've ever written, but I do really, I'm in love with some of the things that I did have in that script. Um, and the fact that I was able to kind of see it through tor- towards the end um, makes me excited to write another one. But um, yeah, just religious trauma is something that scares the shit out of me. Um, the idea of death, uh, things of that nature, but I have to, I have to do some self promotion about the film that's coming out, uh, soon in December, yeah. uh, Cole stars in it. Uh, the title is called secret Santa and this is, there's no, 
let's say there's no deeper meaning to this other than the fact that I just had a shitty Christmas um, to where a lot of my family was kind of fighting um, after my mom passed away. Um, And it was just a terrible time. It was the worst Christmas that I've ever had. Um, And so I kind of, Cole and I get into a room uh, together and we're just like, what if like you kept opening up boxes at Christmas catered to your worst nightmares? (laughs) Um, And so without giving too much away, um, we shot a eighties film, eighties uh, horror, cheesy eighties horror movie. Um, and I'm really proud of it. And Cole acted his heart out and I'm not going to say anything else aside from that. But if you want, if you have anything to comment on that, you totally can. Um, it was my first time acting in a film project uh, previous. All my acting experience had been on stage. Um, and it was a different experience, but it was really awesome and rewarding mainly because of the people I was doing it with. And, um, I think it's one of the best things, or at least I saw not even the final version of it, and I'm not going to see the final version of it <laughs> until the premiere. Yeah. But I think it's one of the best things that's come out of our our, our film program that I've seen, um, and you should feel proud about that. I appreciate that. I, I do want to compliment every single person that worked on that set. Um, you know, our, our job as the director, it may seem like it's so a Carter very— Carter was there, too. Well, yeah, I was gonna. <laughs> Carter was my gaffer, yeah. and my all the light work looks amazing. Um, yeah, um, it was, it, it was one of the best sets I've worked on. It was really fun. The best thing, my favorite thing, and particularly because I, I, I don't make films like this. Um, <laughs> my my favorite thing is when we're all together. Uh, I mean, you, Cole. Uh, me, James, uh, well, James, um, uh, <laughs> Valerie, Deli, Ivan, Paige, you know, all of us, yeah. Chandler, Hector, all, all of us, um, Jesus, it's just the best time. We have the best time and we, I think, make the best work when we're all together. And Absolutely. when you have we inspire a each of other. Like 20, 30 people, it's, I don't know, there, there's nothing more fun to me. The, Even if the film like that we're making isn't great, it's still so worth it and I wouldn't change it that I didn't expect when I switched to film it was largely because I I just didn't feel like I could work in a professional setting in theater I didn't think that right. was in the cards for me um, and coming to terms with that was difficult but film has been such a um, meaningful experience to me because the thing I was afraid that I was losing I, I didn't lose at all yeah um, being able to do this collaborative art form where you're working with other creatives who are all working together to all putting their unique, you know, aspects into it and creating something. You know, um, I got into theater because I injured my leg and could no longer play sports, but I never really cared about the sport as much as being involved in the team. He's a fantastic actor, by the way. He did it just seamlessly and... I was just going to say the job as the director, you, you would think it's the hardest part, but when you have a talented crew and actors that Cole needed next to no direction whatsoever, he got it right pretty much the first time and every single time. So, um, yeah, it just makes my job look a lot, a lot easier and it just makes me look <laughs> cooler than I actually am. So yeah, it also shout out to Delhi, uh, the art. Oh work yeah. In that and page. page and page. Yeah. Um, the wardrobe, helps really sell it oh, on yeah, point. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, uh, a lot of the, let's go. Oh, There's say some too much. vicious death scenes. <laughs> There's some effects in there <laughs> that are awesome. 
Um, I, I wouldn't have even known how to do any of that if yeah. it wasn't for Deli and Page. So yeah. shout out. They they killed it. Um, and also Cole is not only a, a good actor, but he's also a great director. He directed, I think, his first film last year. Yeah. Um, which is not done, but is being worked on. Yeah. Yeah. Still. <laughs> um, and he did a great job on his very first uh, short film. It yeah. was, uh, it's pretty sick. Okay. And it was also, here. it was also one of the best sets that I've worked on. It ran so smoothly. We finished like 30 minutes early. Yeah. Carter was my boss and I wanted to kick his ass the whole time, but it was a great time. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, Carter was the cinematographer and James was operating the gaffer. Our yeah. preparation uh, was like what made, uh, it was yeah. a really smooth set. No, no, it was, uh, it was it, chaotic, but it they're was all chaotic. chaotic. They're all chaotic. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Uh, I wish we would have planned for two days. Yeah. Uh, but that's yeah. why it's still being worked on and we got some, some cool stuff coming up with it. Um, but anyway, it's what a, were we talking? We were talking. <laughs> here we are. We're talking. We were talking about as young filmmakers. What are the things that you think makes good horror? Oh yeah, right. it's um, your turn. Okay. Um. Well. Okay. So I've made. I mean, I think two or three short horror films, and they're all bad. <laughs> <laughs> they're all bad, and they don't say anything. That's okay. Um, but they have made me realize, however, that I think the most important um the two most important things in horror that allow the audience to hold on to their suspension of disbelief and also um create more fear in the audience is lighting and sound mm -hmm. specifically in big horror big, yeah. big, big um, time huge and i i recognize that in uh smile which i saw just a couple days ago oh man um, has some really good lighting. Not all of it is perfect, but there's some where you can you can barely see like the outline of a person hidden in shadow. Mm, yeah, that's really creepy imagery, and also the sound is great. That's what stuck out to me the most rewatching Hereditary this time. Yeah, I think my lighting se my oh second time my watching God. it, I was like, okay, this soundscape is what the gaffer this movie. is a beast for that movie. And then yeah. watching it this last time, I was like, man, the things that they're playing with lighting wise is. It's advanced for sure. Yeah, and it really sells the emotion. Yeah, but I also think the most beautiful thing about horror is the fact that you can talk about... It's it's relatively easy to talk about things that have deeper meaning mm -hmm. if you come from a place of personal fear. Mm -hmm. um, however, I also would say that probably the two hardest genres to make films in are horror and comedy. I'm not agree. a big fan of comedy, but I am a big fan of horror, particularly ed elevated horror. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so hard to do. Yeah. Once again, because it's hard to get great lighting like that. Um, and you're also playing into a genre film, which yeah. is, I think, always inherently you gotta, more difficult. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Carter and I really suck. We just don't really like comedy movies, like, at all. Yeah. yeah I mean, there's I'm, a few. I'm fucking Mr. Chuckles over here. Yeah, so. it's got to be the most bullshit, like, Seth Rogen-y comedy movie for me uh, to laugh. So I love really good, really good satire. But that's not what this episode's about, so we're not going to get yeah, to it. But if you've so, ever seen Network, watch Network. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. um, let me plug one in real quick, um, just because Cole did bring up Del Toro, and I, I watched his very first short film recently. It's called Geometria. So I'm going to read a quick thing about it. Um, it says, I'm going to go pee. Okay. <laughs> or do you want me to say No, 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 that, no. That's absolutely fine. Okay. I, I've been drinking cold brew, and it's just making yeah, me like... Piss. Okay, very cool. <laughs> um, and Cole will be able to help me out with this part. But uh, Geometria gives a quick ghoulish peek into the developing mind of Guillermo del Toro. Clocking in at six and a half minutes, Geometria tells a uh, story of a boy, Fernando Garcia Marin, 
in trouble with his widowed mother, mother uh, Guadalupe de Toro, um, for ha- having failed his geometry exam for the third time. Uh, vowing to never fail again, he sulks off to his room and he draws a pentagram for protection. And then he summons a demon to grant him wishes, one, of course, that he passes de- geometry. The second wish is the return of his dead father. Uh, being that this is a horror short and from the mind of Del Toro, these three wishes have a very uh, grim monkey ba- monkey's paw type twist. The punchline of it all is that the boy's inability to pass geometry rendered him to unable uh, to know how many sides of a pentagram should have, therefore making him vulnerable to the demon. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's a horror comedy, but some of the it was made in uh, the late eighties. Yeah. Um, some of Del Toro's effects is just you can see it's the blossoming of what was to come for his career. Yeah, so. I, I think he is the uh, monster movie king. Uh, he is, and yeah. it's it's not about. I would I would make the argument maybe it's not about horror but mm-hmm. moreover like um, seeing monsters in a different light mm-hmm. um, and him talking how, with how, how are these things reflections of ourselves no exactly and you're um, he was he had so many fears um, of monsters that he decided to befriend them and I think that's really beautiful my yeah. um, my favorite thing about and I think we have now talked about it on every time we sit down now is fucking the devil's backbone yeah because it is the 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 spanish civil war is such a terrible time and and it's not about these it's more than just the idea of ghost haunting people it is what is it like to be a child growing up in a nation of ghosts uh, a nation that is haunted a a, a time period that is filled with grief and sorrow um, and playing, playing with those things is uh, in the way he does delicate, but also like shape, shape of water is another great example of taking like what is typical, a very typical monster movie, then exploring these, these deeper thoughts in it and asking questions about humanity and what quantifies as humanity. Yeah. I didn't like it. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. I, I do have a question for you guys. Um, since we have, <laughs> I think we're probably going to go to an hour and a half. Yeah. But uh, since we've barely named but like two or three horror films, yeah. would you guys like to either talk? I'm going to give some options that we can kind of have a three way talk about. If can that's I okay? talk about one thing real quick? Yeah, go Because I do want to talk about what I think makes a good horror movie. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Before uh, you get into that, I still, <laughs> I, I have no idea how urinals work. I hate them. Well, I hate the fl- uh, the splashback. We're in 22. Yeah, that's what I'm talking we... about. No, no one's fixed that. I hate how... It's, Come on, Baden. It's pretty, oh, God, it's pretty, like, I don't, know. I don't know. It doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. Make me feel bad. Ta- talk to me about horror movies, Cole. Yeah. <laughs> my, um, well, I think you talk... My biggest problem, the biggest pitfall, I think, in horror making is spoon-feeding your audience. Yeah. Um, because that is the number one way to ruin the dialogue in your horror film. Your horror film needs to be very, it needs to be people having normal conversations and then they become influenced by this evil, this horror. Yeah. It just plays a lot better. Anytime that you decide to get expository about the supernatural, you completely ruin the whole concept of being scared of the unknown. Um, and it's the number one pitfall I've seen. It, it, a lot of horror movies go. Straight out the fucking window. Yeah, um, because they're not written well. Because they're and not. Yeah. There, there's no reason why a horror movie shouldn't be written well. So it's just it's a pretty. I think it's a pretty easy concept, and it is definitely more of a studio mm-hmm. pitfall. Um, 
or tends to be. Um, but like, I mean, I just, there's a lot of horror movies that I just can't fucking sit through. I agree. And it's because we, you decide to get so expository on what is something that is inherently abstract and the abstract is what makes it fearful. Um, you know, a, gr- a great example of this, I think, is Alien, the yeah. the original Alien movie, because it is very much about the. It's obviously genre bending, but it's very much about the the fear of unknown. Like, they would have, you say that's a horror movie? Hundred percent. The I first agree. one, I agree. the first one. Yeah. The second one is not. It's action horror. It, he, <laughs> the second one is an action movie more than it is a horror movie. I also think it's a horror movie. The yeah. first one is. Definitively, I think it's one of my favorite horror movies because I think it's very fun. It's genre it's scary movie, as fuck, but it's yeah. scary as fuck. But the fear is not that like, you know, there's things that have tried similar concepts and they always fall into this pitfall where they're like some scientist guys like, let me explain to you about this alien right quick. Yeah. Um, or whatever this creature is real quick. <laughs> and this is it does this and this and it's known to do this. Um, and that fucking ruins it. The fear is they have no idea what the fuck is on the ship and they have right. no idea how it's going to fuck them up and they don't. It's all new, and they're experiencing it, and the fact that they don't know how to handle it at all is the reason it is so scary and so frightful. The fact that they don't know at the once the cyborg aspect gets revealed and is part of it, they don't know who's on their side. They don't know who they can trust. They start off as what seems so cut and dry. They know everything that's going on, and it goes to the unknown. Jurassic Park, I think, works in a similar way. Obviously, it's nowhere near as scary. Right. Uh, the book is very much horror driven, though. Um, if you ever do read the book, it is the book. It would be rated what, uh, Jurassic Park. Jurassic Michael Park. Crichton. Michael Crichton. The novel yeah. itself is much. It would be rated R if you made it. Interesting. I've never heard a, that. a direct adaptation. Oh yeah. I mean, and also every death scene is first person in the book. What? Nothing. I don't know. Carter just gave me a pat on the back. Like, <laughs> um, Did I do something good? The uh yeah, but the, the I need a Scooby th- snack. Every death scene is first person in the book, and it is very uh, horrific. That's um, awesome. Well, let me let me ask you guys this, um, because unless we want to make this longer, um, <laughs> just to name a few of the ones that I was going to potentially talk about: uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I watched The Exorcist last night. Rosemary's Baby, The Conjuring, The Invitation, Babadook, or Poltergeist. If any of those stick out that you guys want to spar There's some about. of those I really like, and there's some of those I really dislike. Which ones do you dislike? Uh, Bombadook is one of them. What? Um, wow, okay. Yeah, if, if, if you're referring to the... The, the English or... The, the, uh, it's Australian. It's an Australian Shit, film. okay. Well, I'm not going to even talk about that one then. Cause. Yeah. If you're talking about the most recent one. I mean, there's only one, I thought. Yeah, it's directed by a woman. That, like, I yeah, say that... something of a different movie. The Babadook? Yeah, I'm thinking of... He's a gay icon. It's actually true. No, I'm thinking of the one with the fucking kid who's, it's a political. Yeah, that, no, it's not political. I mean, it's it is here. a kid. It's like a kid and a mother. No, yeah, no, I know which one you're political. talking about. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of the one where the dad is some kind of fucking uh, ambassador who works no, in the or, embassy. And yeah, there's no dad in this haunted. movie, Cole. Okay, I <laughs> admittedly was thinking of a different movie. Um, okay. I don't do slashers in general. What was the oh. other one that you didn't like? It's Chainsaw Massacre being... You didn't. You don't like the text chainsaw mask. I don't care for. I also interesting. don't. Like I think that. it's a very okay. typical slasher. It is better than other slashers that I think fall into a similar category. It's one of my favorite but, of all times, just because I think I like Toby Hooper a little bit, and that that that's a um, very low budget. I don't think mm-hmm. he even turned a profit on that movie, and it's just I don't know. It's creepy as fuck. I like it, mm-hmm. um, but. 
Well, so which ones did you like on that list? Uh, give it to me one more time. Um, we have The Exorcist. Yeah, I mean, I don't care. who doesn't like The Exorcist, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Um, Rosemary's Baby, fantastic. The Conjuring. The Conjuring's great. I actually like the sequel better. Me too, brother. Interesting. Okay. I think the okay. Se- I think the second one gives me just a little more chills and fills for my buck. Um, <laughs> after guess that, they, the the series starts. The in, the invitation climb. is like a. Uh, it's kind of an obscure A24 mm-hmm. that's just like not everybody has seen. So it's a good, it's a great cult movie. Um, but then Poltergeist. Yeah. 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 But I mean, Poltergeist is like, I'm not going to say it's the movie that started my love with horror films. Cause it's not the shining was the movie that started my love yeah. with horror films. Poltergeist is another Toby Hooper. But Poltergeist was, I watched earlier on and was the first time when I realized that like, Oh, someone can do something different. Yeah. And you know, and part of this was age. And part of this was like my the people around me who I who were curating my film my grandfather and my father mainly, the ones who were curating my film experiences at a young age. Uh my dad doesn't care for horror films and my grandfather only cares for very uh elevated horror things. Um I do have to give but, a shout out because I did watch Poltergeist for the first time and it's probably the second or third Toby Hooper movie that I've ever seen. Um but I just found it interesting that since Spielberg wrote it and produced it, mm-hmm. uh, he was too busy shooting E.T. that year that it came out of. So he tapped in Toby Hooper, and I think that got him more acclaim. Uh, but personally, you know, Spielberg is a huge fan of the horror genre itself, but I don't think his movies have ever taken it to the dark level that he could have. Yeah. And because it's always a little action adventure, it's always a little. I mean, I think his scariest film is. Schindler's List, which is like, yeah, you know honestly, what I mean? yeah. Um, but because that movie is so grounded, it's what makes it right. Yeah, fine. and I mean, I I do think he's a genius. But. He he's not anywhere near my favorites list. Um, but the fact that he got he gave it to Toby Hooper, and that you can see abundantly like Spielberg and Toby mm-hmm. Hooper collaboration, it's just great. And um, I don't think it did well at the box office either because I do remember reading a letter from Spielberg to Toby Hooper. They're just was basically saying fuck them. They didn't understand it. Yeah. Either that or it was critically shat on. My um my my grandfather, uh, once again, is like usually not a big horror guy, but like, I mean, he uh, that's that's up there for him. That and The Shining are like probably his two favorite horror films. Yeah, I I don't know why I didn't even think about The Shining. <laughs> the Shining was very uh was the first time. It's the first time I think a horror movie when I watched it. I was like, this actually gets what fucks with me. Um, like I I I don't care about some dude with a knife or like slashy sashy yeah yeah yeah. Like that will, or like, uh, or, uh, paranormal activity is a great example. Like that will stick with me for the next hour. (laughs) You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then like, when I first watched the shining, I, there's more of an existential fear that comes along with it. Um, and there's, I think there's other films that do it better. Um, but, that was that was the first time I started to realize like there no there are people trying to tap in to something. Rosemary's Baby does it in, yes, in a really yeah. really fan, fantastic way. Um, and before we shoot it back to like Bly Manor and Midnight Mass, there was one thing that Hell I House. wanted. Hell House and Bly Manor, not Midnight Mass. That's not on here. Okay. I, I like All right. The show, well, before not, before we dish it back to Mike Flanagan, I did want to. I can't. We can't do a horror podcast without discussing Ty West kind of exploding in the past year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know his name whatsoever. He was like not a household name. Um, And then obviously X came out. um, And that was probably one of the most 
<laughs> Cole's like, well, this guy, shut up. <laughs> uh, that was one of the most original horror movies that I've seen in a while, and a lot of people make the argument that it is so similar to something like Texas Chainsaw. I had a great time. Pearl, Carter, and I watched together with Travis as well. Um, hey, Travis. Hey, Travis. <laughs> hey, buddy. Uh, I think we both had a wonderful time watching Pearl. Oh, yeah. And then uh, it's like after love which love x don't love x ty west like demands to be known um after that i had no idea um valerie had told me that he was a part of vhs he was probably a part of the good parts of vhs because there were several different directors yeah i'm not a big fan of that film yeah but i didn't know ty west had anything to do with it yeah and i'm assuming his shit was probably the best out of it probably um and then i had recently watched uh, a wonderful film that he made in 2009 called house of the devil which sounds like such a generic just random ass horror film uh, but i do suggest it greta gerwig for all the greta gerwig stands out there uh, she's in it i'm not going to tell you what happens to her but uh anyways watch it it's great um pearl is great x is great i'm excited for maxine yeah okay can i talk about can i just list off some of my favorite horror films real quick yes, yes. <laughs> yeah yeah you're, we're yeah. in no rush what, yeah. what time are we at we're at a minute an hour 20 yeah there's do no we rush. need to do a second no there's no season? rush there's no rush I gotta well finish. either either we do a second one or we just let it run to like two hours but that's we, fine well, well let's just run it well if, we, if it goes f- to two hours i'll break it up into a two-parter okay all right yeah I, I, but i okay yeah Continue. I'm sorry. Well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Whatever, guys. We'll this might post. be a long one. This might be a spooky. I gotta spooky. finish this Mike Flanagan thing. I know. That's you gonna take the 45 mic. minutes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I won't take. No, no, no. Minutes. You finish your Mike Flanagan, and then I'll get into some of my favorite horror spills. Yeah, we'll just have fun if we go long. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. We're Are you so sure? Bad. We're, we're Are you bad. sure? Because the the rest of this all <laughs> very cohesively flows together. Oh my so. fuck! That is like <laughs> <laughs> that is no, five no, no. pages. I promise it's not as long as you think. Okay, a lot of it can you give us? Can you give us the car facts? The what? No, no, no. Like, just hit, it, hit hit me with it, Carter. Car facts. I, I'm ready. I'm prepared. What are, what are Shut up. Facts? Okay. All right. That that's like that's like a. I'm not getting I'm not this even car facts thing. All right. You talking about Cliff Notes or something? I'm gonna pee on you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to pee again. <laughs> okay. Wait. Do you actually have to pee again? No, ladies and gentlemen, Carter Johnson has the floor. Hey. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, my I'm gonna talk about my favorite thing about Bly Manor, which is Hill House. Sorry, the haunting of Hill House, um, which is the theme, uh, and I think it's what makes it so uh, rich. Um, which is at least you you can interpret multiple different things for the theme. I interpret the theme to be forgiveness, um, because. Throughout the story, we see the family members hurting each other and fighting in various different ways, whether it be directly or indirectly, um, passive-aggressive, you know, or just straight-aggressive. Um, but uh, Nellie's death, um, their sibling's death, uh, brings them all back together. Together, However, they all seem to be able to... All they seem to be able to do is fight um, with one another, which is where some of... Like, there's a few jump scares throughout uh, this show... And a lot of them have to do with um, Nell trying to stop her, her ghost, trying to stop her family members from fighting, which once again, I think is a very unique use of a jump scare. You know, it's not meaningless and it's also scary. Mike Flanagan does what James Wan does when it comes to jump scares. When he has them, it's things that are nearly tangible. They're either dangerous or they're meaningful. Um, 
He doesn't have any false jump scares where there's a the loud noise and then it's like, hey, Mike, what are you doing? You know, it's like the random person who comes behind another character. Um, and uh, my favorite scene in the entire show is um, at the very end. Um, all of the siblings apologize to Nell's ghost in Hill House um, for various things, which she forgives them for, which allows them to forgive themselves and each other. And OK, now I have a question for you, Cole, because I don't. Yes. OK, so um, I'm going to there's a poem uh, that Mike Flanagan takes a lot of inspiration for mm-hmm. um, from uh, mm-hmm. for Hill House. And uh, then in the ending scene, he has like his own version of it throughout mm-hmm. the characters. And I wrote their dialogue down. I can either read it myself or I can have it play, have it ready on my phone. If you would rather me read it, I can do that. But I, the delivery of it is much better. Yeah, play, play it, man. Okay. Yeah, just play it. Okay. okay. Yeah. So the poem is called Epitaph by Merritt Malloy. Um, oh, I thought you were going to like. Play well, it. No, I'm going to do that afterwards to show, okay. to show okay. how Mike Flanagan takes that poem and says okay. it with his characters. Um, so it's called Epitaph by Merritt Malloy, and it goes, When I die, give what's left of me away to children and old men that wait to die. And if you need to cry, cry for your brother walking the street beside you. And when you need me, put your arms around anyone and give them what you need to give to me. I want to leave you with something, something better than words or sounds. Look for me in the people I've known or loved. And if you cannot give me away, at least let me live on in your eyes and not on your mind. You can love me most by letting hands touch hands, by letting bodies touch bodies, and by letting go of children that need to be free. Love doesn't die. People do. So when all that's left of me is love, give me away. Now, Carter, I know you personally have also have written things that have been inspired by that. Yeah, um, because of Mike Flanagan. So let me, let me pull up uh, how Mike Flanagan interprets that poem or how we're all depressed we're just sitting here like wow (laughs) this is how he says it in hill house It's it hits much heavier when you can see like the visuals of it because you can see Nell's ghost um, talking to her siblings 
and it makes it so much more impactful. But that broke me at the end of Hill House. I I was a mess, and it was the first time that I ever found myself asking myself, Carter, you're watching a horror show. Mm-hmm. It's something that's labeled under the horror category. Why are you an absolute sobbing mess right now? Mm-hmm. And... I think we all we all gravitate to things with poetry. I mean, The Devil's Backbone mm-hmm. and Pan's Labyrinth both start and open with poetry. I mean, yeah. pretty much everything that we've written thus far in like our own short films are yeah. just you know visual poetry. But and it's t- what? What's up? What's up? <laughs> I've written like mini muffins in a fucking bunny movie. So hey, that's poetry <laughs> in its own form. So. Um. But Carter yeah, and I are just old saps is what it is. Yeah, so. yeah. it's that I don't know that that show is very meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was beautiful. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to let that dialogue that you just heard kind of speak for itself. And I'm going to move on to um, Bly Manor briefly. I'm not going to talk as in depth that I did about Hill House because um, I, once again, I think Hill House is uh, Mike Flanagan's magnum opus. And I think that deserves to be talked about. Um, however, I I was more affected personally. As much as Hill House affected me, um, I was more affected personally by Bly Manor. Um, and so, first of all, Bly, The Haunting of Bly Manor is the second season of The Haunting of Hill House, but it's an anthology. So, different story, different place, different characters, different time. Um, and the first thing I want to talk about is how The Haunting of Bly Manor is mismarketed really badly. Um, which is not the fault of Mike Flanagan. It's the marketing team because they got to sell the show. They got to make sure mm-hmm. people watch it. And so they market the show as if it's another season of Hill House, but a different story. It They, they market it as just as scary. They put all of the semi-horrific imagery in the trailer and edit the trailer to make it seem more horrific, mm-hmm. more akin to a blockbuster horror. And that's not what Bly Manor is at all. It is, it's a gothic romance more than it is a horror. It has horror in it. But once again, Mike Flanagan views Bly Manor as being scarier than Hill House because what's scarier to him is two people falling in unconditional love with each other knowing that death is waiting for one of you. And it's going to get one of you before it gets the other one. And that's what he, he designs the whole show around that horrifying idea. Is, does anyone know the song? Uh, by Jason Isbell if we were vampires no but I know Jason Isbell um, you should listen to that song it's about the same thing the whole concept of the song is yeah. imagine what life would be like if we were vampires if we were immortal mm-hmm. and we didn't have this it's about him dealing with that same existential fear where you know realizing that he has true a mm-hmm. true love uh, an emotion, a deeper emotional love with somebody He's found like you know the concept of a soulmate in a person, yeah, and realizing that sooner or later one of us is going to have to spend time without the other one, um, yeah. and how life that fear is kind of like always in the back of his mind, and things would be easier if immortality was an option. Yeah, um, that's maybe one of the scariest things to me ever, mm-hmm. and not to get too dark, but just like um, remembering my mom's last days, and it it was just um, that that's it, you know, that's what you have love at the end of it. Nothing else matters. Um, matters who's next to you on your deathbed, and if you got to spend uh, however short it was uh, with the people that you loved, every second was worth it, and 
you know, to live till 90 years old might be ideal to some people, but to spend every single moment, um, with that sense of appreciation for the people around you, that's, what's more important. It's not necessarily the time as much as the, how you, how you spend that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like Mike Flanagan and Merritt Malloy both say, you know, um, they're not gone. They're dead, but they're not gone. It's Um, very true. They're still, you know, they live on inside of you and, you know, your arms that you put around other people and in your love. Um, So, yeah. That's beautiful. Now I want to go cry. (laughs) Yeah. Let's have a group therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, also the horror in Bly Manor is far more quiet and restrained and more conceptual than in Hell House. It's, It's executed in a much different way. It's a lot more patient. Um, it's a lot slower. Uh, and, I mean, similarly to Hill House, um, Bly Manor is a meditation on love, loss, grief, pain, mm-hmm. and um, something that Bly Manor, or something that Hill House uh, didn't really talk about, which Bly Manor does, is dementia. And it's a mm-hmm. very heavy de- um, meditation on dementia. And that's shown um interestingly through the fact that the ghosts in Bly Manor first of all they're not scary in Bly Manor they're they're not scary ghosts they look just like normal people um in fact most of them are uh they don't interact with um the other characters um the ones that are hidden in the background you know how he likes to do that um with his ghosts but uh also um there, there's only one ghost that is scary in the show. Um, I'm not gonna get to that because that would, you know, I would be diving deeper, anyways. Um, and I said I wasn't gonna do that <laughs> for the show as much <laughs> as I want to. Um, but uh, he, he, dementia is talked about a lot, um, and he shows that kind of visually with ghosts, and that when a person dies and they become a ghost, you know, over decades or hundreds of years those people that remembered them aren't around anymore. And so because they're not remembered anymore, their face fades away and they don't have a face anymore. And he uses that as like a visual, um, it's very visually symbolic of dementia in a way, kind of losing yourself, um, forgetting yourself. I really do appreciate the way that you look at that. And it makes me wish that I went into that show in a different state of mind. Um, because oftentimes when you go into something and you can have preconceived ideas of what you're going into and it can spoil it for you pretty hardcore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I knew that Flanagan didn't direct the whole thing, so it made me extra harder on the f- filmmakers who um, made the extra episodes. And, I mean, the show that I'm watching right now, The Patient, is directed by several different people. It's created by two people, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they were on set for it. Um, but I, I didn't have the same reaction towards that you did. Um, I was probably pretty high watching it as well. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I analyzed it. I was thinking, man, this isn't Hill House the entire time. Yeah. And that, that, that's, yeah, that's you know. not point. fair. It's yeah. not yeah. fair. Well, that's hard. It's, uh, it's the point. It's not, that's the whole point. It's not Hill House. Yeah. That's and I was looking, I was looking for such a visceral response like I had mm-hmm. with Hill House and I didn't find it. So, yeah. But that's not that's not to mean that the show is bad in any regard. It's just it it hits home with different people, and I think that's the beauty of film in general. So yeah, uh, and also, uh, damn it, Dark. I lost my damn it. Thought. After um, you, uh, I think I was talking about um, 
the ghosts and their faces fading away once people forgot them and how that's visually symbolic of dementia, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, I lost that thought. Well, I mean, it's okay. Do we, um, do we have any closing remarks? I know that we're yes. kind of reaching that point. Yeah. I, uh, James, I have more to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to go to 45? Yeah, we'll do a 45. Let's do, let's okay. Do a 45. Let me, let me finish um, this. I just have a few more things. That's all. Um, so, uh, firstly, I just want to talk about like two, two of my, like some of my favorite quotes from Blind Manor just because I'm a nerd. Um, Throw it in there, baby. Uh, Give it to me. One of the very first things that you hear in the first episode is to truly love someone is to accept that the work of loving them is worth the pain of losing them, which is ultimately kind of what the entire show is about um, because it's about unconditional love through and through. Uh, a little girl in one of the most emotionally impactful scenes, um, I think she's like seven or eight or something, um, says, dead doesn't mean gone to a man who just lost his mother to dementia. Um, and then she explains how when her parents died, um, she felt like she was dying. Like she was wandering around, not really knowing where she was going. And then she realized she has to be alive to feel that way uh, because mm. she's not dead. Um, and her parents aren't dead. Her parents are dead, but they're not gone. They're still with her. Um, and one of her favorite things is slipping into those very beautiful memories that she had with them. Um, and uh, another thing that um, kind of, there, there's another like uh, part of a poem that is b written by uh, Jose um, Olivares uh, that kind of sums up what Bly Manor is about. Partly, not completely, because once again, it's very complex, very rich, um, has a lot of depth. But... Um, the poem reads, My therapist says I can't make the ghosts disappear no matter how much I pay her. All she can do is bring them into the room so I can get to know them, so I can learn their names, so I can see clearly their toothless mouths, their empty hands, and their pleading eyes. And I think that's relevant to Bly Manor because, once again, the the uh, the ghosts in Bly Manor are not scary. Um, they're, I don't know, they, they, they're kind of melancholic. Um, and... With some episodes, you actually get to see the perspectives of what the ghosts are going through, which is really emotionally impactful. And I also just want to say one last thing about Bly Manor, um, <laughs> because uh, it's uh, it's very important to me, and it's a it's a big statement. Um, Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Bly Manor is the reason I'm a filmmaker. It's the reason I want to be a filmmaker. I love that. That's um, great. And. I didn't, I didn't realize that until after I watched it because I was, the last episode, the f the climax happens in 15 minutes and then there's a whole other hour left and in that entire hour, I, <laughs> I was just I was just a mess and I had never felt anything like that before, and it shows like the power of cinema. Um, it can cause you to feel things that you never would have dreamed of feeling before, and that's what the mm. show did for me, and it made me want to make others feel something possibly that they hadn't felt before. And so, yeah, the haunting of Bly Manor is the reason that I am a filmmaker. It's the reason that I'm on this podcast today. That's, That's beautiful. beautiful. Jinx. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to get into, and I'll make this really short. Also one, we haven't talked about Jordan Peele at all, which yeah, is we, a we skip, I mean, Ari Aster, I mean, you can assume that Ari Aster we talked is about like, hereditary. If well, no, yeah, but like, 
Yeah, I mean that's that's like number one. We're skipping over so many classic. Yeah. You know, it's whatever. Continue yeah. though, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele is, I, I think, one of the best horror directors out there. I, I, in fact, I'll say it, and it's a very controversial take, but Nope is my favorite movie I've seen that's come out this year. Um, okay. W- yeah, that is a statement. That is a statement. To be fair, I haven't seen X or Pearl, which are okay. supposed to be really awesome. Um, but I mean, I like it better than a lot of the other movies I really liked that came out this year, like everything, everywhere at once. Or uh, the Batman or Amsterdam is a lot better than people are giving it credit for. I, um, dude, I've heard some <laughs> terrible things about that film. I know, I know, but it's there is definitive issues with it. But also, it is. Uh, I think if you if you like Wes Anderson at all, it seems like David O. Russell's doing his like dark interpretation of a Wes oh, Anderson that's film. That's convenient because I'm not the biggest Wes Anderson I don't guy. like Wes Anderson too much either, but I wish Wes Anderson would just stick to being Wes Anderson and no one would try to replicate yeah. Wes Anderson. But I don't think it's necessarily... It's a very dark, noir film, and so it is different, but it, it, it there is a lot of the symmetry, the the, the technical stuff. Mm-hmm. My favorite thing about that movie is it's telling, it's telling a part of American history that's really been as like pushed aside as much as possible, yeah. and it's important to tell those type of stories. There is Jordan Peele. Yeah, Jordan Peele. <laughs> uh, he's fucking amazing. Um, and I think he gets a bad rap because his horror debut is Get Out. Yeah. Which I, I, is one of my all-time favorite horror films and one of the best movies to come out the last decade and is fucking awesome. Um, Us gets a lot of shit, too, and that's one of my favorites. Yeah, so. Us is great. Yeah. Us is great. And I think Nope is awesome. I, it's, one of my, it's a fucking awesome monster movie. Now, to be fair, I like monster movies a lot. I'm a Del Toro bro. Yeah. Um, Del Toro bro. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is very good. And my favorite thing about him as a director is, and it comes from the fact that he's an actor and the fact that he's a stage actor, um, is he knows 100% what that character's favorite drink is yeah he knows he knows what what that character thinks about when he's going to bed at night like Mm. he already he knows everything about these individual characters that he's writing and directing and i can i feel it in his characters every time like his characterization is so on point and i love it he knows their fears their anxieties their favorite music the the who they hang around right what, what they're comfortable with the things that drive them um, and uh, you know, there's just a lot of people who get paid a lot of money to make movies who don't put. You can tell he has fun with it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, he, and he has fun with it. And they do crazy things. They use a fucking infrared camera for uh, a lot of the filming on Nope. Because uh, so, quick question: we just rank rank his three movies for me. Oh, I mean, Get Out's number one. Yeah. Um, I like Nope more than Us. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I think Nope is his worst movie. Yeah. By like a long shot. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I, there's things that are done in Nope that I think are just really awesome. Um, particularly I like, I I like the characterization in it a whole lot. Yeah. Particularly Kiki Palmer's character is. See, I like Daniel Kaluuya. I'm not a big fan of Kiki Palmer. I I think she's so good in it. Um, but Daniel Kaluuya also is Highly underrated. Yeah, he's, he's he's incredible. He is one of the best actors living today. He's fucking insane. Rank rank Jordan Peele real quick. I, I've only seen Get Out. Okay, well he he can't <laughs> yeah. be in this conversation anymore. Um, but okay, one last bit I want to go to. I have three films that aren't typically con- they're not they're not really horror movies and not considered typically horror yeah. movies, but they deal with things that are very anxiety Horrific. and fear and scary. Make a case just. 
just thoughts about the idea of referring to them as a horror film. Yeah. Um, the one that James just turned me on to, The Virgin Suicides. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I think you can make a legit case that there is a horror aspect to that film, even if a lot of it feels more like a coming-of-age movie. Absolutely. Um, it's about the suffocation of what it can be like to have parents that that's her, uh, mm. that are suffocating. But. It, it's about religious trauma in a way that is horrific, in a way that is that is a real fear. It's haunting for mm-hmm. sure. That's the correct 100%. Word. And I think James and I... We, we love this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's great. Um, <laughs> I think you can make a real case that that's a horror movie. Yeah. Prisoners. Yeah, I definitely. agree with you 100%. I don't think that's it's... It's almost noir, isn't it? Yeah. And I it's consider not, that a horror movie. And it, yeah. But like, I'd love, but a lot of people won't, right? They're I mean, wrong. Nocturnal they're, Animals they're wrong. is a horror as well. Yeah. They, well. There's a big <laughs> misconception. I think there's a big misconception in horror that something under... That something has to be scary to yeah. be labeled under the horror genre. Yeah. And I disagree. Prisoners is not a movie that causes me to feel fear. However, is it not terrifying that your daughters get kidnapped in broad daylight? No, that's terrifying. terrifying. And that it breaks you down and mm-hmm. essentially turns you into a demon? You lose your humanity. Exactly. That's um, her- well, it's like Get Out was nominated for Best Comedy at the Oscars. That doesn't yeah, make sense Yeah, that's bullshit. That, whoa. And racist, actually. We're kind of racist. Yeah. Um, but like prisoners, it's sure it's not like your typical horror movie, but it is about probably the scariest thing that could happen to any individual. Oh, yeah. And it is about if you are a parent and your child is taken for you from you, what links will you go yeah, that's, to that's, regain your child? No, absolutely not. That's terrifying. It is it's one a horror the, movie. It's a exactly it's a horror movie. Through what was your what was your third pick? My third one, I think, is gets overlooked as a fantastic horror movie. And I swear to God, it's a horror movie, and y'all made me fucking watch it, you assholes. Which one? Which one? The Father. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. you want to talk about existential dread? I mean, you want to talk about the, the psychological fear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's a movie that captures it better than The Father. Do you there's know not. if we do this next episode about the Oscars, we can start off with The Father? Being okay. Okay. Well, in well, why don't we? Why don't we make that? Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, guys. Um, we had the best time watching The Father. Like for real. Yeah. I mean, it was very yeah. traumatizing, but we, we did. just all cried. We, we trauma bonded and together. Hugged. Um. Also, uh. I want to give a quick shout out to Katie Video. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah Let's yeah. plug she, our promotion. Okay. So sponsor us, please. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> I love Hill House and Bly Manor so much. We'll do it for I, VCRs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I have been waiting. Katie Video is a um, woman who owns a business where she uh, makes VHSs. Now, she makes VHSs yeah. of modern cinema. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful. Um, films that don't have VHS releases, and her artwork is incredible. And uh, ever since I saw Hill House and Bly Manor, and. Um, through James figured out about her mm-hmm. and her business. Um, I was like, Oh my God, I would pay an unlimited amount of money to have like a box set of those two. And he did. And then one day <laughs> she made that one day she made it and I spent $500 and Flanagan a, is friends with her. Yeah. They yeah. were. Yeah. Uh, it's a collaborative thing. Um, yeah. he, she, uh, she has support from him. Um, and his wife. And so, yeah, the box set is incredible. It's beautiful. I wish I could show you, um, but yeah, I spent five hundred dollars on it, and it's very valuable. Valuable to me, it's priceless. So shout out to Katie Video. It is K A D I Video on Instagram. Yeah. If you want to go check her out, yeah, she is the leading force in bringing back VHS. <laughs> Incredible Weird flex. woman. But on that note, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. We had a wonderful time, and we'll see you for next time. <laughs>